you are listening to Discovery Church Podcast. We are in our third week of our series, Love Song. And um, if you are just joining us, I'll, I'll give you a little backdrop of what's going on. We are doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Song of Solomon. It's written by a man named King Saul, and uh, his dad was actually King David. And so just like his daddy, he, uh, he wrote songs. In fact, we know that in 1 Kings, it says that King Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. That's a lot of songs. But out of all of those songs, the, what we're looking at is the song of all songs. So this is his best song that he has ever written, composed like this. This is the chart-stopping, Grammy Award-winning song of song. And so uh, we're looking at this. We're going through it verse by verse. Um, and uh, we, uh, it, this is a series really about describing the human love. Of, of just relationships, of, of how you and I can love better, how we can be better in our relationships and in our friendships, and for those of you that are married, how you can be better in that, that area. And so uh, our, our key verse for this series is found in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. If you don't have your Bible, we've got it up here on the screen. Here's what it says. This is Solomon's Song of Songs. More wonderful than any other. Now, before we keep reading, there's three characters that, that talk throughout this book. We have Solomon who talks. We have his soon-to-be wife. And then we have a group of friends that, that are kind of from afar. And basically, they're, they're looking at this relationship between Solomon and, and his soon-to-be wife. And they're like, wow, we just love the way that you guys, you guys have We love how you guys love each other. And so there's three different people talking. I'm going to do my best to try and to explain who's talking at what point. This is is the lady speaking right here. She said, kiss me and kiss me again. Hello. For your love is sweeter than wine. It's basically she's saying right there, Solomon, the way that you love people is so amazing. The way that you treat people, there's something so sweet about the way that you love. She goes on to say, verse three, uh, how pleasing, how fragrant your cologne. Your name is like it's spreading fragrance. So you ever been around those people that just, they spray too much cologne and everywhere they go, there's like trails of it. That's what she's saying. She's saying, hey, there's something about the way that when you walk into the room, people notice. They know that, that when you walk into the room, they notice that you're here. That's really the heartbeat of this message is that we can learn to live in such a way that when we go into a room, people notice. They notice the way that we treat people. They notice the way that we love people. They notice the way that we respect people. She said, no wonder all the young women love you. She said, but they can't have you because you're all mine. I love that. And so uh, we've been on this journey, again, through the book of Song of Solomon. And, um, and week one, we looked, was their first, they, they, they noticed there was an attraction between the two. They were attracted with one another. And so that was our, our week one. 
Then week two, we looked at, they, they started dating. Actually, it was more of a courtship. And, and, and so they started, uh, they started courting each other. And then week, uh, chapter three, which we're, we're not going to look at, was their marriage and their, their wedding. Okay, and so we're bypassing the wedding today so we can get to the honeymoon. Hello. And so that's what we're talking about today. Next week, after their honeymoon, this is amazing, they have their first fight. And so we're going to learn how to, how do we handle conflict in relationship, not just dating relationship, but just relationships in general. How do we, how do we handle conflict? And then the last week is going to be looking at uh, how we could just learn to love better in general. And, and, and so because this is a relationship series, we set a couple of ground rules for this series. Here's the first one. Uh, you got to listen for yourself and not for anyone else. Okay? It's very easy in a relationship series to uh, be like, <clears throat> elbow your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You hear that? You better write that one down. Right? Like, we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to hear for ourselves. And, and so we're not hearing for, we're not listening for uh, someone else. We're listening for ourselves. And then here's the, here's the other ground rule is that we're looking ahead. It's very easy when, when, when you're talking about a series of relationships, doing a series on relationships, or matter of fact, just reading the Bible, it's very easy to read and say, oh man, I already failed at that, or I already missed that mark, or there's no way that, that I can be counted for this because, and so what, what, what I want you to do is not to listen for what you did yesterday, but knowing that in Jesus, he can make all things new. And so we're listening to this series, to this message, not by what we did yesterday, not what we did in the past, but the hope that Jesus gives us today going forward. Amen, somebody. And so, and, and so we, I, I just, I want to make sure, because we're, we're going to talk about some stuff, and, and it's very easy, even as I was studying for this, it's very easy to, to be like, oh, man, I messed up already. But, but, but. Going forward, from this day forward. And so uh, those are the ground rules. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Hold on to your seats. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we get to talk about relationships. God, and I thank you that you are all about relationships, Father. And so I pray that within this next moment, God, that, that you would just speak to our hearts, God, that, that you would... Um, you would encourage us and challenge us, Father. We want to leave here different. We don't want to be the same that we, that we were when we, lay, when we leave, God. We, we want to leave changed, not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world. And so we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone say amen, amen. So last week, uh, I took my kids to the snow, um, and it, it, it sparked something inside of me. Uh, we were driving, and we just, we just passed, like, the storm. So a storm just happened. So the hills driving on highway, whatever highway that is, up to Tahoe, was, like, white. It was just snow everywhere, everywhere and it was beautiful. So much so that as we were driving through these, these little hills, I was like, baby, let's play some Christmas music. <laughs> and so we were, like, listening to Christmas music, driving through uh, the, 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 the snowy hills, and, and, and I know for a lot of people, like some people, they, they're not big on Christmas, like I love Christmas, 
except for one aspect of Christmas. And I'm about to share that with you. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of Santa Claus. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, that's because he's not the reason for the season. No, that's not, that's not why I'm not a big fan of Santa Claus. I'm not a big fan of Santa Claus because it seems like every year Santa Claus takes credit. Let's go. Takes credit for gifts that I paid for, that I purchased, and my kids are like, oh, thank you, Santa. Shut up! I bought it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, parents? And, and so, like, for me, I have, like, this, this like, every year, every, every Christmas, we, we go to my parents' house for Christmas uh, morning. Never fails. My kids walking, walk through the door. My, I, it's a, mainly my mom. She's like, what did Santa get you? And I'm thinking in my head, nothing. <laughs> like, he didn't get him jack, right? I actually this year wanted to tell my kids, like, hey, mommy and daddy did it. It's, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of y'all are like, what an evil dad. <laughs> but this idea that my kids give credit to something, to someone that had nothing to do with it, just kind of, kind of bugs me, just, just a smidge. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this idea of, of giving credit to something or someone that doesn't really deserve the credit. And I was thinking about that, and it's very similar when it comes to the topic in which we're talking about today, and that topic is sex. Now, for a lot of you in this room right now, your ears just perked up, and you're proving my point because you're like, oh, did he just say sex in church? Did he just, he just, he, no, he did not. And you're kind of proving my point because uh, if, if you think about it, the church has done probably not the best job at talking about sex in church. In fact, it's almost been taboo in church. And so what happens is, is this idea that, that rather than, than, than talking about it in church, we're learning about sex through magazines, through the playground, through the locker room, through school, and when in fact, I need you to understand that culture didn't create sex. God did. And we've given culture, we've given devil all the credit that, hey, this, this is your creation, when in fact, this morning, like, the goal is to take that back. And, and to, to remind ourselves and to let us know that, no, that is not right, that, that God created intimacy to be between a husband and a wife, and he created it, not culture. And my goal is, is that we can look at this and we can begin to see the beauty that God has, this intimacy that God has for us, and to understand that it's a gift. The church, I feel like they, they, they've looked at this idea of church and they either said nothing about it, they never talked about it, or they said, 
sex is dirty and it's gross and you don't ever want to do it, but save it for your spouse, right? Like, <laughs> and so this morning, my goal is, is that as we, as we walk through this book of Song of Solomon, chapter 4, that we can take back the credit that we have just given to culture in the world and take it back and, and have us understand that God created this and it's a gift. Amen, somebody? All right, so we're going to go through this. Uh, we're gonna, so, so, we know, so we know how culture defines sex, right? If you don't, go pick up a magazine at the store. You'll find out. We'll watch TV. We, so we know how culture defines it. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God defines and describes what, what we're going to call godly sex, okay? And uh, I want you all to breathe, please. <laughs> Y'all are holding your breath, and I'm like, oh, my Lord. It's going, to be, it's going to be good, I promise, I promise. And, 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 and so if you're visiting this morning, welcome. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to pick up uh, Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, up until this point, the lady has talked 75% of the time. Enough said. Um, <laughs> And, and so, so, so here they are again. This, this is they just got done with their wedding ceremony. They are in the Hilton. They are in their wedding suite. Is about to go down. Okay, but watch what, watch what uh, this. And so this is a guy speaking. He finally gets an opportunity to speak, and he's going to speak for 11, 11 verses, and he's going to he's going to describe. Watch this. He says this: How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are like doves. And so here's what's going on. They're in the room. He finally like lifts the veil from her. And he notices her eyes for the first time as his wife. And he's like, wow, so beautiful. Like he, he's, he's so amazed by what he sees. Let's keep reading. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats. Husbands, <laughs> try that one when you get home. Um, he, said, <laughs> he said, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. And so what's going on uh, is, is uh, <laughs> during this time, they, the, they had goats that were dark-haired. And as they would go down the mountaintop, it would give off this cascading effect. And so basically, what he's saying is, uh, during this time, the Hebrew women, they would wear their hair up in a bun. And so basically, what he's saying is, she's going like this. She's, she's, she's starting to, to, to light, set the mood. And he's saying, your hair is like a flock of goats. It's coming down, baby. We'll keep going. He said, your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. What is he saying right there? He's saying, I'm so glad your teeth are white, they're brushed, and that they're all there, baby. <laughs> and notice what he's doing. He, he's, 
he's, he's working his way down, right? He, he's admiring her. He said, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. And so he's noticing just the, the, the rosiness of her, of her cheeks, of her complexion. I love this part. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. So, uh, well, you definitely don't want to say to your spouse, hey, your neck reminds me of a tower. <laughs> hey, girl. <laughs> like, but, but what he's saying here is very beautiful. See, what, what we have to understand is that the, during this time period, the Tower of David, it stood for something noble. Something honorable. It was like the most honorable place in the town. And so what he's saying is this. The way that you carry yourself is amazing. The way that when you walk into a room that you, you, you hold yourself with such honor and such respect. And so... Before he ever touches her, he says, let me talk to you for a second. So before he ever touches her, he's saying, hey, let's talk. Your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your neck. And so that leads us to our very first fill in the blank. Godly sex is affirming. Godly sex is affirming. Before it ever gets physical, I want you to first know how much you mean to me. See, words are important because your words are the seeds of what you will eventually see. I'll say that again. Your words are the seeds to what you eventually will see. In other words, what you want to see should dictate the words that you speak. And so he, he, he's, he's saying, your eyes, your hair. See, what's very interesting is that in chapter one, we know that his wife now, it wasn't his wife at the beginning, but in chapter one, she, she says, she, says uh, she admits that she doesn't feel beautiful. In fact, she says, she, the, the conversation that she has is, she, she, she gives off this idea of like, I don't understand how, how Solomon can view me and see me. She said, I'm so dark and, and my brothers, they made me work in the field and so I, I just, I have never taken care of myself. But it's very interesting to me that three chapters later, King Solomon, when, or Solomon when, when, he, when he's speaking to her, he's like, your neck is like the Tower of David. So she did like a transformation of not thinking she was beautiful to all of a sudden her walking around with her head held high. Why? Because of the words that Solomon spoke to her. The affirming her of saying, hey, you, you are, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous. So affirmation is important. Affirmation is important. Keep reading verse 5. 
Okay. Uh, your breasts are like two fawns or deers, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Um, so I, I don't know if, if many of you guys like hunt in here. Uh, I don't hunt. I don't like the outdoors really at all. Like, um, but but uh, I, sometimes like as I'm scrolling, I'll see the, the hunting channel. And, um, and it's, it's amazing because uh, the hunters, the hunters, when, when they see a deer, they're, they're super quiet. They're, they're, they're very, they're very, they're very soft, very quiet. They're not like, hey, deer, <laughs> what you doing? No, why? Because the deer would run away. So will your wife. And, and so that's what, what he's saying right there. And here, here's number two. Godly sex is tender. Godly sex is tender. Here, here is uh, the best definition that I've found for this word tender. Not tender, tender. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, showing gentleness and concern. Showing gentleness and concern. Excuse me. So Solomon, he's using deer as an allegory for gentleness, for, for, this, for this idea of concern. Basically, what he's doing is he's putting her needs ahead of his. He's being tender. He's like, I'm putting your concerns ahead of mine which really is marriage, right? Learning to serve the other person. And so it's, he, he's putting her agenda, her desires first. It's not forcing, he's not forcing his agenda on her, uh, his desires on her. He's being tender. Let's keep reading verse six. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. So what's he talking about there? All night long. All night. Y'all thought Lionel Richie. Nah. Solomon. He said, that's what he's saying. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense. There's two. Let's keep moving on. Uh, number three, godly sex is passionate. And I think this one's important to me because there's this notion that the moment that I make a decision to follow Christ, everything is boring. My life will be boring. I will have no more fun. But there could be nothing further from the truth. Jesus said that I've come that you could have life and life to the fullest, the max. So he has so much for us. And, excuse me, and so, uh, again, going back to this idea that I don't like the outdoors, I'm not a big outdoors fan, uh, sometimes, or, well, twice, actually, I've taken my kids camping, and uh, the first time, I've never lit in a, fire, a campfire before, I've just enjoyed the campfire, and so, like, so much work grabbing the logs, putting it in the pit, then squirting it with lighter fluid and trying to get, the, trying to get it to go, right? 
Finally, what felt like hours later, I finally had a little flame going. And, uh, and, and, and it's going. And what I realized the hard way is that it doesn't last forever. Like eventually, I have to get more wood and I have to put it in the fire. Because if I don't, it burns out. And I'm like, man, this is way too much work. I love those little fire pits that you just hit the switch, and it's like. <laughs> Guess what? That works in your backyard. That doesn't work in your marriage. It doesn't work in that area. Listen, if passion was fire, we can stand back and we look at passion and we're like, oh man, this, this looks amazing. This is what I want. But the question is, are you willing to put in the effort, the work, to make sure that that flame continues to burn? I think for a lot of us, uh, even for me at sometimes points in my marriage, like I forgot that, man, marriage takes work. There's effort involved in it. And I, and I view, sometimes I had viewed my marriage as a little switch, thinking that's all I have to do. But no, I, I got to put in that work, work, work. Like marriage is spelled W-O-R-K. I met a guy uh, once, or uh, yeah, and, and, and he, uh, he's, he said to me, we were talking about how I was married and how I was young at that, at that time. And he was like, wow, you know, like, Marriage is amazing. You, you got married at such a young age. And I was like, yeah, you know, but like, it just, it's, well, I love being married. It's a lot of work, but, uh, but I love it. And he's like, marriage is not work. And I was like, oh, yes, it is. It is. He was divorced. Um, <laughs> but, but it gives this idea of the, this mindset. And you guys have heard this. The grass is greener on the other side, right? And it always seems like the grass is greener on the other side, but really, it's not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. It's greener where you put in that work. And so the reason why this is so important, the reason why it's so important to understand that, that, uh, that marriage takes effort is because if we don't understand that, we will be easily sidetracked by something that seems easier, that seems less work, that seems like it takes less effort, but really it's just a counterfeit. I feel like that was way better than y'all responded right there. If you're not careful and if you don't understand that passion takes work and takes effort, you will be very easy pulled away to something that looks easier. Like we know all about it, right? It's that we, we hold it in our hands. It's so easy to get some counterfeit on this bad boy. So we got to understand it takes work. It takes effort. And that's not a bad thing either. I mean, think about this. For those of you that are, are, are married, and typically, I promise you, for those of you that are not married, next week will be different, promise you. 
But, but for those of you that are married, think about before the time that you were married, when you were, when you were dating that, that person that you were about to, about to marry. You put in so much effort and so much work, like getting your hair all did and your nails and guys, you were working out and eating better and dressing nice and you would buy her flowers and chocolate. You would send texts like, I'm missing you. And you put in all this effort. And then what happens? You get married and then all of a sudden it seems like that effort stops. Like I'm done. I got you. <laughs> it stops. And, but, but come on, it takes effort. Fellas, text your wife. Tell, I text my wife randomly while she's at work. If y'all saw my text thread that I sent my wife, and she always, she, she puts LOL. <laughs> Seriously, and it takes, what, 10 seconds? I'm thinking about you. She don't like flowers. Thank God. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so I mean, I mean, guys, let's keep it going. Set, come on, wives, I'm trying to help you out. Like, send her some flowers, some chocolate. La ladies, ladies, you, you can help us out too, wives. Come into bed with those space suits on. Come on. Come on, my wife has these sweats that she wears. She comes to bed. I'm like, babe! Come on. It's crazy. Yeah. She's like, but it's so comfortable. <laughs> My God. Come on, let's be committed to working. Let's be committed to putting in that effort. And if you're not married here, hey, this works with all relationships. Friendships. This idea, hey, let's put an effort and work on this, <clears throat> on the friendship, excuse me, to work on our relationships. This is not just for marriage. This is for everyone. Let's work on, on the way that we treat and, and the effort that we put in with that. Here it is, verse 7. We're almost done. He said, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. darling. There is no flaw in you. Well, that's kind of weird because, again, we know that by her own accord, she said that I'm flawed. But what has he done? Here's number four. Godly sex is secure. Godly sex is secure. So Solomon, uh, Solomon said, you are beautiful. There is no flaw in you. What he's doing here is he's setting her up as his standard of beauty. He's saying there is no other woman in the entire kingdom that can match how flawless you are. He's viewed, she is his standard. Come on, we, we got to set our spouse as our standard of beauty. I've been married 
almost 11 years, and uh, we, my, my wife and I, we've been together for almost 16 years. And out of those 16 years, never once have I ever heard her say or think, say, compliment another guy. Never once. Never once have I heard her look at an act and be like, ooh, look at that. Ooh, Thor, you work out. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I may have been like, yo, Thor, <laughs> what's your workout regimen, bro? <laughs> but never once has she ever, have I ever heard her say that. Why? Because she's setting me up as her standard. My son, my wife for this matter, my son, but specifically my son, because I think it's important to model this for your kids. My son has never once heard me compliment another woman. Why? Because my wife is my standard of beauty. Like, and I have to believe that she's my standard of beauty. And she has to believe that I'm her standard of beauty. Because the moment that we don't, the moment insecurity uh, sets into the relationship. The moment that, that, that I begin to, to, uh, to, to, to focus on someone else is the moment that insecurity sets in, in her heart. And vice versa in my, listen, standard of beauty. Godly sex is secure. That's why, and I know we don't talk about this in church a lot, but that's why pornography is so harm, harmful and so hurtful. Because it gives you a false standard of something that you're expecting your spouse to be or do. Come on. Secure. Standard. Godly sex is secure. When you make your spouse your standard, you're telling them that they don't have to hide, they don't have to be ashamed. They're secure in the relationship. You guys getting this? Is this? Verse nine, the man is still speaking. He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Now what he's about to say right now, this should look familiar because this was our opening verse, our series verse. He's repeating what she said in, in chapter one. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. He says this, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. What's he talking about? We got our first French kiss in the Bible, y'all. <laughs> Come on, how cool is your God? He said the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And then he goes on to say this. Verse 12, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are spring 
enclosed, a sealed fountain. Notice, notice the words that he, he, he's using right there. He's saying you're a garden that's locked up. You're a spring that's been enclosed. You're, you, you've been a sealed fountain. What is he saying right there? He's acknowledging and thanking her for waiting and saving herself for him. He's saying, thank you for waiting for me. I think, and I'm going to, and we're about to close. But I think the greatest gift that a spouse can give each other is their virginity. Now, I know what you're saying, and I'm not foolish here because I'm not, I'm not, Standing here thinking, well, here, here is a room full of virgins, right? Like, but here's, here's what's beautiful. From this day forward, God can make all things new. John, I already crossed the line. I already went too far. Hey, great news. God can make all things new. John, I messed up, and so did I. I messed up before I was married. But he can make all things new. Come on, somebody. He can make all things new. And so here's number five, our last one, and then we're done. Godly sex is holy. Godly sex is holy. What is holy? Holy doesn't mean that you're a perfect person. Holy means that you are forgiven and that you're set apart. I'm not holy. Listen, listen. I'm not holy because I'm perfect. I'm holy because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm not holy because I got all my stuff together. I'm holy because I've chose to embrace all that Jesus has done for me on the cross. And he's made me new. If y'all knew my past. But he made me new. He washed me and he's cleansed me and he's renewed my heart. He's taken the things that I've done and he's stripped it away. And he said, forget it. That is not how you are going to be defined anymore. Starting this day going forward, you are holy. And I believe that he has the same thing for you this morning. Last verse, and we could stand because we're, we're going to be done. He goes on in verse 15. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water, streaming down from Lebanon. Now, our last two weeks... We ended with uh, the, the wife saying, don't awaken love before it's time. She kept telling him, don't, don't awaken it. It's not time yet. But look what she says. She, she went from don't awaken it to wake it up. 
Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into this garden and taste its choice fruits. See what, what is going on in those verses right there is a passion that I believe that God wants for all of our lives. But not everyone is willing to step into what that looks like and what is modeled. Let me say it this way, and this is your last fill in the blank. God's way isn't just right, it's better. God's way isn't just right, it's better. I'm telling you, he has something for you. He wants to do something in our relationships. He wants to do something in our marriages. He wants to do something in the way that we treat each other. We just have to be willing to do it God's way. for listening to Discovery Church Podcast. Remember, we will have a new message for you every Monday at 5 p.m. Make sure to like and subscribe and you will be notified when a new episode is ready for listening.